Welcome to the Legacy and Faith Show, featuring estate and tax attorney Paul Grant. The Legacy and Faith Show is about the journey of discovering how to create plans that protect wealth and family values for generations. And now the host of the Legacy and Faith Show, Paul Grant. Along with co-host Mark Holland, Legacy and Faith, once again this week with the host Paul Grant and the missionary Paul Grant. Paul, we've right. been praying for your trip to Indonesia. Thank you. And you're just back a few days as we're recording this. Uh, That's why don't right. You give, why don't you give us a quick recap of how it went? I hear we had some kind of hairy situations. Yeah, a few um, hairy situations were in there. So uh, it, we were talking before the show about the trip a little bit and... Um, so I went to Indonesia for two weeks, and really the objective when I go to Indonesia is I work with Pastor Isaac Wandaway, and as a matter of fact, he's been a he's guest been on, on the yeah, show on before, the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, back in June, and so that's over on our podcast mm-hmm. at LegacyandFaith.com, mm-hmm. so anyone who's interested in listening to those couple of shows, please head over to our website. But when I go over to Indonesia, I'm really concentrating on two things. Number one is building some relationships relationships with churches so I can go in and encourage the body of Christ when I'm there. Then I typically hold business seminars mm-hmm. for business leaders. Mm-hmm. There is a real absent voice towards business leaders. Um, the church in Indonesia has a real um, thought process or mentality that to be a minister, you need to be working in the church. And it kind of neglects its business owners to mm-hmm. recognize that we're all anointed for different things mm-hmm. and that business owners and business leaders are anointed to be in the marketplace. And so that's the heart that I bring is I want to speak to business owners specifically and and talk to them about that their calling is to be in the marketplace. It mm-hmm. is to um, to build businesses, to make money, to then give back into the mission work and into the local church so that the gospel can go throughout the world and that it's good for them to be in the marketplace and to be a voice and to be a light in those circumstances. Mm-hmm. So that's the, that's kind of the twofold vision of when I head over to Indonesia and spend a couple weeks ministering there. Um, but like you said, this trip was uniquely interrupted. So, Some unrest. Yeah, yeah. A, a lot of unrest. So we spent mm-hmm. a couple of days in Jakarta, but then we head over to an island called Papua. And Papua, if you can kind of envision um, Papua New Guinea, there, there's uh, it's just north of Australia, and it's the um, it, it's the island with a very straight line down the middle, and the the east side, if you're looking at a map on the right-hand side, that's Papua New Guinea. But then the left side is Indonesia, and that's Papua. And in Papua, recently there have been some real racial tensions mm. and um, and some so things. So not religious fighting, but – No, not religious ethnic, fighting. So yeah, yeah, more mm-hmm. ethnic mm-hmm. is that there's a an indigenous people there that feel very – discriminated against. Mm. And I'm not so sure that that's not a very justifiable feeling for them. Uh, as a matter of fact, Papua has phenomenal natural resources. Mm. It has like the largest gold mine. In yeah, the them, second yeah. largest mm-hmm. gold mine in the mm-hmm. world. Mm-hmm. Um, it has oil resources off its coast, mm. um, virtually endless. And unfortunately, this island is one of the most impoverished areas mm. in all of Indonesia. So, um, so, in other words, Indonesia as a country is just taking advantage of the natural resources, and the people themselves uh, receive no benefit. Mm. So, 
But the, it's not being shipped off to like uh, British colonialism or anything like that. It's not American countries doing that. Well, no, actually, yeah, American companies are the ones who have the contract okay. to do the mining, mm. to do the offshore drilling. Mm. Um, there's a lot of Australian influence. Mm. So un, uh, in this trip, then, there's been some civil unrest. And when we flew in, we, we flew in on the tail end of about eight days of uh, of civil unrest mm. in other words people marching in the streets mm. and um and literally setting fire to city blocks mm. um uh, uh destroying buildings government buildings in demonstrations of that they want to be recognized and even a group of them really want to then have their own freedom and create a a government of their own to be free from Indonesian rule and go back to ruling themselves. I'm not so sure that there that that can happen in a short period of time. Indonesia is pretty much digging its heels in the sand. Well, of course, it's always about money. And sure. so when you have those type of natural resources, then it's very, very difficult in political situations. But the the bottom line is that we walked in to a um, to civil unrest. Uh, now we knew we were going in there, and and before we left Jakarta, we really spent some time in prayer and really felt peaceful about walking into the circumstance, and at least going through and seeing what we could do with our time in Papua. So we ended up staying uh, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and and with each day things got better and better. So Friday was honestly pretty hairy. Um, a lot of uh, when we walked into our hotel, that whole street had uh, police roadblocks on it. You said they're coming up and knocking on your window with a machete. Well, in the car ride, yes. Um, (laughs) And so, um, so yes, we had to roll down our windows. We were stopped by, by locals once they saw that um, that we were Americans, then everyone gets happy and goes, you know, oh, says good. hi and, and lets us through. Hmm. So we really weren't in any danger. Um, it, it was more a show of force and a show that we're in control of this city block more than, uh, than a real danger for us. But yes, it, it actually did happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we were able to, to speak in a couple churches over Sunday. But your, but your original itinerary was very much interrupted and you had to change. Yeah, plans. because after Sunday, we were going to be meeting with local pastors. That was going to go into a Tuesday all-day business session, into a third day on Wednesday of a community outreach and a concert to bring bring in the community to spread the gospel. And so all of those plans had to be abandoned because nobody would come out because yeah. of because their own people were marching in the streets and there was a real fear to the locals if you were not participating in that demonstration. Mm-hmm. So we we recognized that um, that we could do what we could do. And so fortunately Pastor Isaac is immeasurably connected within Indonesia. Mm-hmm. He has set up uh, 15, I think over 20 churches. Um, like I've mentioned in the past, he's kind of a pastor of pastors. Right. And so therefore, we were able to divert to a different island, um, meet up with some new pastors, some new business leaders, uh, share what we were trying to envision as far as encouraging business owners with the gospel and and really trying to help business owners recognize their place in the market mm. and and what does it mean to be a business owner and a Christian, run their businesses with Christian principles. So we had some really good meetings, set up some new relationships for some future work, and uh, and looking back, I'd still say that it was a very successful trip. It just 
became a different trip than what we had originally planned. And, but you know what? Missions is like that a yeah. lot of the time. Is that you got to be flexible enough to say, this is our plan, but, uh, but you just can't anticipate that the place that you're going is going to start going yeah. through civil unrest at the yeah. very week that you're going to walk in there. Um, but, but we were very blessed. We, we prayed that the riots would stop before we left Jakarta. And when we walked in Friday, um, probably thir- Wednesday and Thursday when we were in Jakarta were the worst days. And with every day that we were there, more and more peace routine r- returned to the area. And God simply answered our prayer. Mm-hmm. And so by the time Sunday was there, we went to church, we came back, and the streets were almost normal. The markets were back open. People were walking the streets on Sunday. And um, and just because that there were hints and discussions that more demonstrations were planned for that week, we decided, well, let's take the practical way and let's go ahead and make a shift, and we did. But um, so, nonetheless, overall, yes, there was a diversion in the plan, but um, but we had an opportunity to still, what I believe, glorify Je- the name of Jesus Christ. He was our protector and our keeper, mm-hmm. and um, and so thank you. To all the listeners, thank you to this radio um, station for praying for us and lifting us up during the time that we were away, and uh, it made a difference. Got you home safe and sound, and uh, back to your normal practices here. And speaking of planning, you are talking this week about uh, the settlement process. As we shift gears a little bit here, the estate planning, this is kind of a big subject, and some kind of common questions when... People come to you. They say we have an estate and we're trying to close it. Right. Uh, we need some. We need some help. Yeah. So in my firm, on an annual basis in September, we run a training program for clients and their families uh, discussing this exact issue, which is um, unfortunately in my world of estate planning, it's not an if question; it's a when question. When will I die? And so we. Uh, so in other words. The estate plan that we've created now needs to actually uh, take effect. And when this happens, family members have an immeasurable amount of questions. It's a very confusing process. It can be very unsettling. We've just lost somebody that we love and we care about. And now we're supposed to turn turn on our brain mm. and actually begin to have this knowledge and wisdom of closing an estate and most people are never trained in what to do. So, number one, that's one of my biggest questions is that if you've gone through estate planning, then has the attorney that you've used in the past, have they discussed this with your family? So, in other words, have they just created a document or have they actually discussed the process with your family? What are the steps that they've given you? Where are we um, in in the legal community as far as educating the public with this is what will happen when someone dies. And to my knowledge, um, unfortunately, what I, what I believe is happening is that there's actually no communication. There's no education. So when I start, um, uh, our training program is coming up at the end of this month for my, for my clients. And I ask the question out of the gate is other than, being in part of my firm, who has ever gone through a training session, an educational session of what happens 
what is the process and what are the steps that we need to go through when somebody dies? And not so shockingly, unfortunately, the answer is no one has ever had an educational session Mm. of what to do when somebody dies. So knowing that this is coming down the road and, and I'm preparing that in my own firm for my own clients, I decided, well, then let's mirror what's going on in my uh, in my own firm for the listeners at, um, in general. So I want to take us on a little bit of a journey here of what happens when we have to settle an estate. So in other words, someone has died and we have one of two scenarios. Number one is that they have some sort of documentation. They have a will or they have a trust. Um, or scenario number two is they have no planning at all. And those create Which very different journeys. More common, really. Yeah, you, unfortunately. Said, unfortunately, that most people do not. That, that's right. Yeah. And uh, if you have reached the age of 65, then 48% of Americans, less than half, 48% of Americans have some sort of estate planning. So they either have a will or they have a trust. Mm. But, and that's at the age of 65. Mm-hmm. So that means that before that time, and we've lost another 10% or more. So it's under 40% of individuals who are under the age of 65 any, have any estate planning at all. So that's number one is if we can kind of walk into this break with the first thought of the settlement process is, have you done any estate planning whatsoever? What have you done? And when's the last time that has been reviewed? When's the last time it's been updated? And as critical is when is the last time that your family has been educated on what will happen when you pass away? Because the document is intended for instructions to a court in most circumstances. It's not intended as a document to instruct your family. Mm. So, um, so the document is not going to tell you the step-by-step. It's going to tell you what you want done with your estate. So therefore, in my opinion, there's an educational gap that I would like to start um, bridging as as we come back from break. Mm-hmm. So step number one is, have you done any estate planning? And then number two is, if you have or if you haven't, when somebody passes away, what are the first steps out of the gate that we need to be thinking about? Okay, big subject. We'll talk more about this as we come back from a break here. You're listening to the Legacy and Faith Show with Paul Grant, estate and tax planning attorney. If people are already intrigued, they want to find out more, how do they get in touch with you, Paul? Head over to our website. It's LegacyandFaith.com. There's opportunities to come to educational programs that we put on about estate planning as a whole. There are past podcasts. There's a myriad of different things that we've talked about on our shows, and those podcasts are also uploaded. Or you can hit the Communicate With Us button and send us a question individually that we'll get back to you with. So head over to LegacyAndFaith.com. Back with more of the Legacy and Faith show in just a moment. Hi, this is Paul Grant with the Legacy and Faith show. Hosea 4.6 says, My people are destroyed for the lack of knowledge. God's people need to be fully prepared in managing their finances and ensuring that their wealth is properly transferred. It is our passion to bring this knowledge to the body of Christ. If your church would benefit from having a financial and estate session that is biblically based, then I encourage you to reach out to us so that we can help design and implement 
a specific and strategic session for your church. Or if you are interested in estate planning services, then I likewise encourage you to reach out to us. You can go to LegacyInFaith.com and receive all the information you need. Again, go to LegacyInFaith.com. Your photos, slides, scrapbooks, and home movies are invaluable and irreplaceable. Barry Kenny here with The Bear Services. Call us to save them as digital files to be stored electronically and shared liberally. We will even come to you so they stay in your possession. Go to thebearservices.com for more information. That's thebearservices.com. We now return to the Legacy and Faith Show, featuring estate and tax attorney Paul Grant, and continue today's practical discussion to apply biblical principles for kingdom purposes. Legacy and Faith Show with Paul Grant, Mark Holland, your co-host this week, as we're looking at the common questions in the settlement process. What do I do when I have to close an estate? I'm actually going through this in my life right now, not a not a not an executor, but my wife is part of an estate right. that's closing right now, and we're having some of the same questions right now. That's right. It's a very confusing time for people, and um, and I'm not sure what the thought process is that I've got a document, and so therefore everything is set. Uh, is is my sneaky suspicion that most people think that the document is somehow going to rescue the day. And let me tell you that the document is really not going to rescue the family. It doesn't tell us the step-by-step. The document is going to tell us what to do on a broad basis as far as who receives what. And it's going to, for wills, it's going to set up instructions for the court and empower somebody to close your estate, but it falls short of actually giving us a step-by-step process. And so, um, now I've used the estate planning life cycle in past discussions, and it, what the estate planning life cycle is is that it's a it's the cycle that estate planning will go through, regardless of what you've you, what you've done. And in the settlement system, it's all the way at the end because we go through the the engaging process, we go through the creation process, we go through updating processes, we go through family. Um, reception and then life, life adjustments. And then we're coming to the close of the estate planning life cycle. Now it's a circle. It's not a, it's not a linear line. It's a circle. And so the settlement system is understanding the steps involved in closing an estate when someone passes away. And so we want to concentrate now for the rest of this show and into the next weeks on what are some of the most common questions that people have as far as we have this document. Sometimes we don't have any document, so what's the difference there? And what do we do out of the gate to start the process? So okay. I've given you a list of some of the most well, common yeah, your, questions. Your question number one is, what do I do first? And uh, you might not be able to do anything if you're not like the executor or the uh, the person in charge of the will. So you're just maybe a beneficiary what can just a beneficiary do first? Right. And so the first thing that we really want to do is understand or try to find, do we have any documentation at all? So in other words, is there a will? Is there a trust? Mm. And a lot of times family members hear that there's some planning, that, but we just don't know where it's at. And so if you have done planning or if you intend on doing planning, 
one of the first things that I would really encourage you to do is communicate with your family of where document where yes. you keep your documents. Yeah. It'll help streamline the process out of the gate. Now, in estate planning, the original documents are key. This is one of the biggest problems that I see come up is that we have a copy of a copy or or we gave copies to the kids, but nobody knows where the original is. When somebody dies, having the original document is actually one of the most key components in getting things moving forward. So if we have a copy, it's a good starting point because it tells us maybe who will be in charge. And that's where things really start is knowing, well, who is empowered to deal with the estate? And if we don't know who is going to take the lead or um, sometimes that's one person, sometimes it's multiple, if I could give you just what is an opinion of how I guide my own clients is that make one person in charge. Please stay away from naming all the kids. Or if you have two kids, well, I'm going to name both of them so that they work together. Um, in my experience, it's one of the worst ideas that you can actually do is have both kids work together. Um, most families have differences of opinion. Kids are very different. And so, Testing their ability to work together at the time when it is highly emotional is one of the worst ideas that uh, conceivable. So um, it, it's my recommendation that you choose one individual that you trust to say this is going to be the person to lead the charge and and kind of put things on their shoulders to say the buck stops here when there is a, a decision that needs to be made. Now this is with a plan. Now, that's again, you with said a plan. Half, half the people don't have a plan. So yeah, then that's right. What do people do then if they find out, well, they had no will, they had nothing. So what are we, what are we, all, do, what are we all doing now? Yeah, or we can't find the plan, right? right. And so, so we think that we have the, um, a document or we have a copy of a document, but it was done 20 years ago and nobody can find the original anymore. Um, and so that, that creates a problem. So not having an original ends up being like we don't have a plan. So, therefore, if you don't have a plan, then typically we're going to uh, try to get the family together. The Washington law will then take over. So it doesn't mean that Washington gets all the property. It doesn't mean that, that, no, that Washington is in charge. It means that the laws that have been created will dictate who has priority as far as coming to the court to say, I want to be in charge. Oftentimes, when a family calls, we're trying to first distinguish who is going to be the person to take the ball and run forward. So with a plan, we have some some clear instructions. So number one, that's the best part because you, as the person who has an estate, you've made a decision and have told us who to rely upon. That's why we have planning is so that we know what you want. We have your voice instead of the voice of just the state saying this is what's best in society in general. So if you don't create a plan, then Washington has one for you, but it is created based upon what lawmakers thought was the best. And so they're going to create a system that 
they are trying to make as smooth as possible for everybody in the world as, uh, versus your family. And generally, the first person then that they would tap is, what, a spouse yep, or so, the oldest child? Yeah, so, um, so in the pecking order, a spouse will almost always win out, okay? And that may be good if you've been in a long-term marriage. That could be bad if you're in a second marriage um, and you don't have... Uh, common children. So your children may feel like they've been left out of the decision-making process. Uh, Specifically, if you're in a second marriage where your kids are already grown. And so there's a real disparity in that. Um, As a matter of fact, uh, I was, when I was in Indonesia, I was talking to another attorney there, just trying, just having some fun and in understanding the differences between the systems of America versus Indonesia because, you know, I'm strange and those things excite me. <laughs> um, and so, uh, but as an attorney, though, I, I want to understand what's the differences. And so I came to the discussion and I gave an example that says, okay, well, what if my wife had died? And so my daughter's with me. Uh, my, my oldest daughter, Rebecca, traveled with me. And um, and we gave the scenario that says, okay, well, what if I had remarried and, um, and I didn't have any planning? Um, who is in charge of that estate? So I was just trying to, to understand. So in the States, someone who is in charge of the community would be in charge, so the spouse. And I made mention of that. And my daughter, who is 23 years old, quickly raises up and says, but wait a minute, what about, what about Gabriella and I? What, what, what do we get to say in it? And so there it is. Right. So my daughter, in just talking through scenarios, um, as a young individual in her young 20s, um, already had the foresight of saying, well, what about my voice? Because I'm your daughter and now I lost my second parent. What if... I had a, you know, what if you had a different spouse and they weren't properly reflecting what my sister and I's needs were? And so, um, so mixed families Mm. are immeasurably complicated. As a matter of fact, I would say that it is one of the most complicated legal scenarios. And if you are in a second marriage with, uh, and you don't have common child, or sometimes even worse, um, one of the spouses has a child, then you have common children together, um, that even convolutes it more. It is one of the most complicated legal scenarios that there is And um, when somebody passes away. I am begging you, for your family's sake, do estate planning. Please have a plan, and please find someone who will take the time to explain the possible scenarios because you are setting your family up for um, hurt feelings, and you're setting your family up for a very complicated scenario. So we really didn't get too far into this discussion no, yet. So, so, so we're going to move into this next <laughs> week as well. Um, but um, so the bottom line is everyone needs an estate plan. We need to address this. You need power of attorneys. You need a plan that communicates what you want instead of what Washington State wants. Mm -hmm. And that's the first call to action is do estate planning. And so 
what's the first thing to do? Estate planning, because that's the first document that we're going to look for when somebody dies. And as the case would be, you are an estate planner and this a ta- is true. tax planning attorney, and you would love to help people. How do people get in touch with you, Paul? Head over to our website, LegacyAndFaith.com. There's educational shows, past podcasts, and ways to communicate with us. Head over to LegacyAndFaith.com. Always great stuff. The Legacy and Faith Show with estate tax planning attorney, Paul Grant, here on KCIS. Thank you for joining us for the Legacy and Faith Show. You can find more information about the show and Paul Grant at LegacyAndFaith.com. Join us next week at the same time as we learn to build God's kingdom and continue our journey on how to protect wealth and family values for generations. All discussions on the Legacy and Faith Show are intended to be about general legal issues. If a situation applies to you, then we encourage you to seek specific legal advice. Please do not rely upon any discussions from this program in place of having a personal relationship with your attorney. Any listener question that may have been answered also does not constitute legal advice and does not establish a client-attorney relationship.